Hello everyone and thanks so much for joining us for this new episode of the Food Science Addict podcast. In this podcast we aim at discovering food science topics for those of you who already know what food science is and also for those of you who are not sure about it. Listen to us while we unravel the mystery and wonders of food science from ingredients functionalities to novel technologies to novel foods and much more. Today, Rebecca is going to talk about plant-based milk alternatives and sustainability issues. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for this new episode of the Food Science Addict podcast. Today we are going to talk about sustainability regarding plant-based milk alternatives. Today is all about the sustainability side of these dairy alternatives. I'm not even going to get into the nutrition nor the production side of things. But why make a podcast on this specific topic? Well, an American study published in 2020 in the Journal of Dairy Science estimated that by 2023, 18.5% of the total milk market share would be made up of plant-based dairy alternatives, abbreviated to PBDA. Additionally, in the US, milk sales have plummeted by 15% since 2012. We all know that most people who convert to drinking non-dairy milks do it largely because of either ethical, environmental or nutritional reasons. By nutritional, I mean both because they might find that these alternatives provide them with the nutrients they are looking for or because they are looking to avoid a compound in dairy milk that makes them feel unwell. For instance, if they are intolerant to lactose or any of the milk proteins. The increasing trend of dairy milk alternatives might also be related to the fact that the cases of climate anxiety are incrementing. What is interesting is that those suffering from this type of anxiety are mostly that part of the population that has not suffered direct impact from weather changes such as droughts, floods, fires, etc. This really captured my attention because apparently nowadays climate anxiety is actually mostly caused by indirect impact. So people who have it are those who are especially worried about the state of the environment in the future due to the news, scientific papers, the radio and other social media. I only realized that this was actually a thing while listening to the radio a few Sundays ago. Jane Goodall was on BBC Radio 2 saying that since the late 80s she's spoken to children and young adults feeling anger, apathy and a little hopeless towards the world's climate status to recuperate that indelible spirit that she thought some of us lacked. She created her Roots and Shoots program. In a 2019 survey on younger adults by this American Psychological Association, it was observed that it is more likely for people that have eco-anxiety to change their way of living and become more environmentally friendly. This makes sense. The more you care, the more you'll react to it. Having said this, 
any kind of anxiety is of course unfavorable. I just thought that it was interesting how in the last few decades the cause of this type of anxiety has changed. Now the people who suffer from climate anxiety are those who have not actually suffered any life-changing events but who have read and listened to enough external information to gather knowledge and create hypotheses on how the future of our planet might look like. Let's focus on a statement from Jane Goodall and I quote, what is causing such climate change has to do with the CO2 released from burning carbon fuels and the methane gas produced by the unprecedented amounts of animals kept in factory farms. Jane mentions CO2 and methane. These are two of the main greenhouse gases encapsulating the heat in the atmosphere and causing such crazy weather. I'll come back to this. Before we start with science, let me just mention an important aspect of sustainability, which is the laws behind it. For those of you who are not very much into legislations, please don't zoom out just because I have mentioned the word law. I simply want to inform you on an idea from the Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO, a specialized agency of the United Nations that concentrates on defeating hunger and controlling food laws. According to this very important organization, there are three sustainability principles underpinned in the food chain, environmental, social, and economic impacts. The sustainability of food is not only dependent on the processing used to manufacture it, but also on the economic status of the country of issue, the animal welfare laws implemented, the institutions that govern in that country, the society's values, i.e. the culinary traditions, and the consumer's values, of course. Those of us that are most sustainable will look into the following attributes before purchasing the food product whether it is fair trade certified, whether it has a high or low carbon and water footprint, whether it uses unsustainable packaging materials. I could go on and on. Anyhow, the legislative parenthesis is now over. I just wanted you to be aware that there are a plethora of factors that food manufacturing companies have to take into account throughout the whole farm to fork process. Now, I'm not sure if you have watched Kiss the Ground, a fabulous easy watch documentary, but if you have, you will understand me when I tell you that the health of our soil is such a crucial factor that most people don't take into account. Cheers to those compost owners, you're certainly nurturing your soil. The reason why I mention this is because soil degradation, air and water pollution and Loss of biodiversity are the principal environmental issues related to the manufacturing of milk. Next, I'm going to compare different types of milk so you can assess for yourselves which one is more beneficial for our planet. The mean estimated carbon footprint of one liter of dairy milk in other words, the greenhouse gases emitted to produce one liter of cow's milk is estimated to be 3.2 kilos of CO2 equivalents, whereas the carbon footprint of one liter of soy milk alternative is 0.7 and that of almond milk alternative 
is 0.42. Compared to the greenhouse impact of prawns, shrimps, lamb and beef, this is very low. Yet, compared to rice, dairy milk seems to be quite high. There is some controversy regarding which is more sustainable, milk or rice, since if you think about it, the flooding of such vast fields is really not very sustainable. Here are some more numbers for you. 1.2 kilos of CO2 equivalents are released into the atmosphere during the production of one liter of rice milk. Milk in quotation marks. The best option in terms of which source releases less greenhouse gases is cereals, legumes and pulses, which have almost half the impact of dairy milk. So in terms of which milk or milk substitute will contribute least to your carbon footprint, oats are the best option. Now which will require least land to produce it? The answer to this would be rice, needing just 30 centimeters squared to produce one liter of this milk alternative. That's the size of your big ruler, cubed. However, take into account that the flooding of rice fields produces sizable quantities of methane. It is not the greatest option carbon footprint wise. Moving on to the use of water in the harvesting of these plants. Agriculture is the largest consumer of fresh water in the world, accounting for 92% of water consumption globally. We all know that we should turn off the taps while brushing our teeth and washing ourselves in the shower, but what is actually causing a major economic and societal threat is the non-sustainable usage of our limited freshwater resources, says the World Economic Forum from Geneva. After doing a fair bit of research on the matter, it is clear that there's copious amounts of knowledge on this topic. But why does it matter to us on this podcast? Well, if our aim is to increase dairy milk alternatives and decrease dairy milk consumption, we need to optimize crop distribution. This means redistributing crops and planting them in the areas around the world with the correct climate to match their water demand. There's a very interesting 2017 paper from the journal Nature Geoscience that details where we could plant crops so that blue and green water use can be optimized. Blue water being the term referring to irrigated water. So that taken away from the surface and ground and green water referring to the water from rain and snow. Having said this, which milk alternative will require the least water? According to a 2018 Nature paper by Poor and Nemese, soy is the best option compared to oat, rice, almond and cow just a nose on almond milk. Almonds tend to be grown in dry areas like California and the Mediterranean. Even though their growth requires lots of water, this arid environment does not make it a sustainable option. This, in my opinion, is a crop which we should consider redistributing. But for now, if you're living in Europe and really want almond milk, you might consider buying Alpro's almond milk 
or any other brand that uses almonds grown in Europe just to reduce the distance it has to travel to. Now that we all know a bit more about soil health, greenhouse gas emissions, land use and water consumption, if we compare the different alternatives to dairy milk that we mentioned today, we can say that soy and oat are, for the moment, the most sustainable options. An important detail to take into account when choosing which one is the most sustainable alternative for you is your location. Obviously, the less distance the crop has to travel, the better. At the moment, the leading soya bean producers are South American countries, especially Brazil, which is not ideal, since it has a very strong impact in the Amazon rainforest's loss of biodiversity. But then of course, India and China are also massive soya producers. In the EU, we can see the production of soya increasing in countries like Romania, France and Italy, mostly because EU regulations have eased slightly allowing the European market to introduce some GM products in food and animal feeding chains. GM foods are not all bad, like the media wants us to believe. Changing even slightly the DNA can enhance crop yield without increasing land use and reduce the dependence on the use of pesticides and herbicides, as we can see in a plethora of studies. So that's all I'm going to say about sustainability for today. Although sustainability is key when choosing a product, when you are browsing down the milks and milk alternatives in the supermarket, you should also consider their nutrition. Which plant-based milk alternative is best nutritionally? Also, why can we not call this milk? Perhaps these are topics we can cover in the future. I have attached the link to the documentary website in the description of the episode, as well as the references used to produce this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, and see you next time! so much for joining us for this new episode of the food science addict if you have any questions or any doubts do not hesitate and send an email to the food science addict at outlook.com or send a dm to our instagram at the food science addict this podcast has been produced thanks to the help of some of the university of service students and you will be meeting some of them in the next episodes but until then take care and goodbye